good morning again. It's good to be together. It's hard not to sing about Jesus when you're trying to save your voice for preaching. I was very tempted to just throw that away and just sing on. Wow, what a great time of singing to the Lord today. I hope that when Landon read the Scriptures today, it provoked something in your thinking. It should have. It was a sort of a contrast. It seemed even, and denominations and religions have interpreted it even as a contradiction. In fact, the church was born in this contradiction. And both of these statements that we heard read today, you hear Abraham was saved, or excuse me, was justified by faith apart from works. And then you hear Abraham was justified by works when he offered up Isaac as an offering. And those seem to collide with each other and contradict each other. And it's one of those passages in the Bible that if you just read it straight up out of the text, you're liable to fall into some challenge to your own personal faith or the potential of discarding the opinion of James or the opinion of Paul, those both being inspired writings given to us by the Holy Spirit. And so we have a challenge there, and I hope that today we can settle some of that if you are challenged by it. Possibly, perhaps you've already worked through this, and so for you it's not an issue. But I'm hoping that it poses a challenge to you to work through. The reason it comes at this point in our journey is they're both quoting the story we've been reading for the last three weeks in the Gospel Project. And that is the story of Abraham. Paul is quoting from the story of Abraham. James is quoting from the story of Abraham. Paul proposes and tells us that Abraham was saved by faith apart from works, quoting Genesis chapter 15. And then James says Abraham was saved by works when he offered up Isaac, quoting Genesis 22. And so we have the same story. We have two different angles of it. And so today's message really only has two main points. And all that I hope to do today is to just work out those two points so that we can understand both James and Paul in the context they wrote to us in and understand the importance of both because just as in the early church there was a crisis when they were wrestling through the teaching of Paul. And there was a crisis when they were wrestling through the teaching of James. So much so that the first big disagreement in the church occurred in Acts chapter 15. So you may want to go there. We'll start from there. But the same crisis that was there in their day exists in our day. And it's a very scary crisis. And it's a crisis that because of misunderstanding and misapplication of the doctrines of Paul or the doctrines of James or the doctrines of Paul and James, many people are in a state 
of very serious disarray in their walk, in their life. Let's just look at the Southern Baptist Convention. Southern Baptist Convention are inheritors of the Reformation. Yesterday was Reformation Day. We're inheritors of the Reformation and Martin Luther's great stand when he taught justification by faith and faith alone. And we're inheritors of that. And as a result of that inheritance, we've preached it fervently, but perhaps mistakenly in the application. Because we're at a time in Southern Baptist life where there are 16 million Southern Baptists on church rolls. And on any given Sunday, you might can find a fifth of them. Fourth, perhaps. It's true of our own church role. We have around 1,200 resident members. Just a casual look around. I don't think that all 800 of those who are missing are just mad at me. Or Steve, or Wendy, or Sean, or you. I think there's something fundamentally wrong, perhaps with how we preach the gospel during the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. Not to say that we weren't preaching the gospel, but in some of its applications, we were a little hesitant in the demands of Scripture. And we were a little, maybe gospel light, in how we called men and women and boys and girls To come to Jesus. Now, that's not a critique of all the preaching of those years. That's not what I mean. But obviously, there was some dysfunction to it. I'm a part of that preaching time, and I'm guilty of it. And so, what we have to do to to move forward in health is take a story like Abraham's and say, why did these two guys come at it at such different angles and say what appears to be a contradiction? Well, when you're in Acts 15, you get the, the, the fight that's brewing over these two points of view and the misinterpretation of each. So let's pick up in Acts 15. And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren... Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. So these guys were preaching a works salvation, a works justification. And some of them purported to be from James. You see that worked out in Galatians 2. Verse 2 says, and when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them. That means there was a big church fight. Okay? This is a big blowout. It says, The brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. So who do they go and see? Well, they're going to go and see James. James is sort of the presiding elder at Jerusalem. James is the Lord's brother. And so they're going to go up and they're going to have a discussion about justification by faith and justification by works. And they're going to have to come to some conclusions. And so 
in the middle of the debate, Peter steps in, who seems to be kind of a very good representative of both sides. So look in verse 6. And the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by, what's it say? Faith. Okay. So when Peter stood up to settle the issue, the first thing that he brings up is faith. And there's a reason it's the first thing that he brings up. But it's not left there. Verse 19, excuse me, verse 10. Therefore, now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? That yoke is the law. But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. So now he's talking about grace. So he's talking about faith that brings grace and saves us. Right. Sort of a reminiscent of Paul's statement in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you are saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. So you see Paul's teaching right there in the middle of Peter's teaching. Verse 12, And the multitude kept silent as they were listening to Barnabas and Paul and as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And after they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon, okay, that's Peter, has related... How God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his, for his name. And with the words of the prophets, agree with this, just as it is written, after these things I will, um, but too soon, return. And I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it in order that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord of hosts. So verse 19, therefore, it is my judgment. We do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from things contaminated by idols and from fornication and from what is strangled and from blood. So he's going to move into some works things here. So you've got this big meeting and it's a meeting of the guys that wrote the two passages that Landon read. You've got James and his justification by works when Abraham offered up Isaac, his son. And then you've got Paul, the justification by faith apart from works. They're having a meeting and they resolve that faith is that which brings the grace of God and that works are that which follow the grace of God. And they settle it here, but the problem still remains in the church. Because here's what's happening. During this period of time, folks are twisting Paul's words. And folks are twisting James's words. 
so that an ongoing problem in the church is a group of people who say that you're saved by the works of the law and another group of people that says, you know what, as long as you confess that you believe in Jesus, everything's going to be okay. It really doesn't matter what you do. And those two groups were still causing trouble and fractures within the church. And they were sort of the works hoorah group and the faith hoorah group. And they failed to see how the scriptures had, through James and Paul, addressed both in the story of Abraham. So what does this mean to us? We have to settle it. We have to settle it for several reasons. First, we have to settle it because we're talking about heaven and hell. That's why this is worth discussing. If you or I are wrong on this, we're not going to heaven. And so what's at stake here is something of eternal significance. This is not a little theological discussion of theologians sitting around. They don't have anything better to do today but kind of figure out how many angels can dance on the head of a pin or something. No. This is the fundamental thing that is going to be determining where you spend eternity. And so that's why Paul wanted to fight so just passionately about it. That's why James wanted to fight so passionately about it. Because what is at stake is souls and where they're going to spend all of eternity. In fact, what is particularly at stake for you is your soul. Because a misunderstanding of James or Paul will land you in hell. That's why God gave us James and Paul. And that's why we need both of those texts. And we have to work through them. So what do we do with them? Well, I think we have to separate them and understand what they're talking about and how they're not contradicting. So my two points are simply the separation. Number one, justification by faith is our entrance into the covenant of hope. Paul is talking about how do you gain access to God? How can He let you in His presence? How can He approve you to stand before Him? Because you are, by nature and choice, a sinner. And no amount of righteous deeds can make Him able or willing to let you in to His presence. So what Paul is addressing is, how do you get approval to stand in the presence of God without Him doing the thing He promised to do to all sinners, to judge them eternally and to reward them with eternal death. How do you get that? That's what the Apostle Paul was settling. That's why he used the earlier passage in the Abraham story. 
The earlier passage is in 15 where God is speaking to Abraham, makes the promises, and Abraham believes God and God gives Abraham a righteousness that he does not possess, that comes from God, that is a part of God's character, not Abraham's, and is imputed and imparted to Abraham, and it makes him acceptable to God as a pronouncement and makes him a different man than he was before faith. So it changes his standing with God and it changes Abraham himself. So that when we speak in Romans 4, the Apostle Paul is talking about our entrance into the covenant of hope. How do I know that that's true? Because that's the language Paul uses. So join me for a moment in Romans 5, which is following on the heels of Romans 4 and is explaining Romans 4 that Landon read. In Romans 5, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's talking about salvation. He's talking about that moment when you truly, by faith, receive what Christ has done for you. You believe that Christ is God in the flesh. You believe that Christ is Savior of the world. You believe that Christ is the coming, reigning King. You believe that, that He died and He was raised and He reigns and you believe it and you receive Him. And because of your faith, He accepts you. And so, here's what it says. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom, now here it is, through whom, through Jesus, also we have obtained our entrance or introduction or access into this grace in which we stand. This is very important. Paul's language is the language of entrance, of access, of introduction. It is the language that says, you were a stranger to God. You were estranged from God. You were alienated in heart and mind and in deeds. You were a stranger to the covenants. You're a Gentile. You had no hope and you were without God in the world. That was your state, natural from birth. Sinner, lost, and doomed. You had no way to God, no access to God, and no standing before God. But because of what Jesus did in His sinless life as God in the flesh... What he did in his sacrificial death as God in the flesh. What he did in his victorious resurrection as God in the flesh. In his absolute, wonderful, victorious ascension and seated at the right hand. What Jesus did for you, you believed it and you got in. You received access, entrance. This is how you got in. You're not getting in any other way. There is no other way. And so he says there very clearly, verse 2, through whom we have also obtained our introduction, how? By faith into this grace in which we 
Now occupy or stand. So if I'm standing in grace, it's because by faith I got my entrance. Okay? So this is purely the relationship between God and I where He accepts me. You've heard me say before, God does not want you to accept Him. Christ does not want you to accept Him. He doesn't need acceptance. You need acceptance. Your problem is not that you need to accept Christ. Your problem is that Christ needs to accept you. And the only way that Christ can accept you and present you to the Father is by your faith in Him alone. And so when Paul makes this defense and quotes chapter 15 of Genesis, Paul is talking about the way we gain access to God. The way we get our entrance into His presence. That's what he's covering. He's fighting against people who think that they can get access to God through helping their neighbor or volunteering at the hospital or giving money to the church or not cussing for ten days straight. As if God's access could be purchased by something so frivolous. God's access was purchased Through the blood of Jesus. The death of His Son. You can't get in the door without the murder of Jesus. You won't. And apart from that blood personally touching you at your heart, you're not getting in. And so what the Apostle Paul is dealing with and trying to verify, make clear, is that our access, our entrance to God is by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That's what he's talking about. Now, James was dealing with something totally different. And that's why he comes at such a different angle. He's going to quote the same story. It's the story of Abraham. But he's going to jump over to chapter 22 because chapter 22 says that all that those who are going to come in and claim access by faith are going to get that faith checked out. God doesn't believe in fake faith. He doesn't receive people by it. So, all who are going to come and gain access are also going to be tested for the veracity of their faith, the legitimacy of their faith, the truth of their faith. That's where James is coming in. Because in James's day, just like today, there were a lot of people going around saying, Oh, yeah, I believe. I've got faith. I believe. And so James addresses it. So jump over there, and and I want to do this as rapidly as possible to get to one particular thing that's coming at the end. And uh, and I think will help us in the final application of it. And, oh, boy, uh, do I have a lot in front of me. Here we go. James 2. 14, what use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith, but he has no works? So, so Joe, go ahead and help me. Let's get the second one up. Justification by works is our evidence of the covenant of hope. Our evidence. One is our entrance. That's what Paul's covering. How's God going to accept you? This is how. But when he accepts you, 
He changes you. Grace is not permission for you to continue like you were. Grace is the power that changes you and makes you what you ought to be. That's what grace is. And so, justification by works is our evidence. And so, James is going to work something out here. He's going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. Why do you have so many people saying that they have faith? And he talks about two kinds of faith first. First, he talks about dead faith. Look in verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if a man says he has faith but he has no works? Can that kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead if it's by itself. And so James is saying, wait a minute, you're claiming entrance into something that would change you. Now listen carefully. You're claiming entrance into something that would change you. Grace does not leave you where you were. It may accept us where we are. It will never leave us where we were. Never. There's no place in the Bible that backs up the idea that grace is simply my permission to go ahead and sin because I know God's going to forgive me anyway. That's totally against what the Apostle Paul taught. And Jesus, of course, whom Paul learned from. And so here... He says, here's a dead faith. Then he he ups it a level. He says, it's not just dead. I'll tell you what it is. It's demonic. Look at what he says. Verse. uh, Let's go all the way down to 19 now. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. He's saying, you know what? If you're just talking about orthodoxy. In other words, having all the right beliefs lined up so that you can quote them. And this is a danger when children are coming to us asking for salvation and they can name all the answers. Orthodoxy is not salvation. Having the right answers is not salvation. Mental assent is not salvation. Mental agreement is not salvation. The demons know the orthodox belief about God. In fact, they have the orthodox belief about God. And so the Apostle Paul says, you could have all the orthodox things and have not just a dead faith, but a demonic one. And then he says something interesting. He says, at least the demons have enough sense to shudder. And your belief about God doesn't make you shudder. So there's a dead faith and there's a demonic faith. And then he gives one more kind of faith. He gives a useless. Verse 20. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Uh, Rich Mullins. Y'all remember the Rich Mullins songs that went here? Who remembers it? Raise your hand. Yes, yeah, like faith without works is like a screen door on a submarine. That is a great song. It's useless. And so, here it is. So, so now I've got to get us to the place of application so we can bring these two ideas together. Paul's talking about entrance. James is talking about evidence. Now, both of them say that the entrance is first. How do I know that James says that? I wanted you to ask me that because James does say that. Come with me to verse 23, excuse me, uh, 22. 
Two things happen here in James's mind. You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. The word perfected there means reached its goal. In other words, faith had a goal. And it had a goal of evidencing itself. And through works, faith reaches its goal of evidencing that your faith is legit. So what's happening? Abraham believed God. It was reckoned to him as righteousness. He gained his standing before God. His access, his entrance. He was now given a righteousness that was not his. It was God's. And it made him acceptable to God. But God didn't just impute it and credit it to his account. He actually imparted it and put it in Abraham. So that when the test came... God said, Abraham, are you legit? Abraham operated out of the righteousness that God gave him to show himself valuing God above all else. Because that's what righteousness will always do. Righteousness will always value God above everyone and everything. That's its nature. And so, here, he says... It reaches its goal. But notice he says different to make sure that we see which came first. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled. What does he mean fulfilled? He's going to quote what Paul quoted now and say, okay, here is a prophecy to be fulfilled. Abraham believed God. How is it fulfilled? Well, he ran over here and he offered Isaac up. And his faith prophetically announced over here was evidentially Proven right here. Now listen carefully. Many people come down a Baptist aisle. Take a Baptist preacher's hand. Take a Baptist youth minister's hand. A Baptist children's minister's hand. And they make a profession of faith. But until it is fulfilled and completed... By the evidence of the change, it is incomplete. And that's what James is taking up. And it's scary because of the number of people who've done that in a Baptist church that this very day seem somehow, at least in evidence, whether if they're present in church and living a lie or out of church thinking they're good to go, that there's some sense that they're going to be all right with no evidence. That's what James was taking up. And so, here we are. What about you? I don't want to even think about anybody else right now. I just want to think about you. What about you? Would you bow with me? Because I want to ask you a couple of personal questions. Here's the first one. Have you sought entrance by faith to be accepted by God? Have you? If you have not, you are in grave trouble. Because there is a day coming when you're going to leave this earth. I have no idea how that timing works out. Some people the Lord just kind of takes instantly and some just slowly move toward eternity. I don't know what's in your plan, but I know that either one is a danger to you. 
Sometimes the slow journey just hardens. And sometimes the quick removal frightens because nobody knows where you were going when you left. And so I want to just let you know your chief problem is not whether you accept Jesus or you accept God. Your chief problem is does God accept you? And the only way you can gain entrance into His kingdom is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's what Paul was emphasizing. Getting in the door is faith in Jesus alone. And you must repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ to do that. And I want to compel you with all my heart to do that now. Not not because I say so, but because you need to. Time is of the essence and you have no idea what the timing is that's left. Settle this today. Quit putting it off today. But those who've not asked for entrance are not the only ones in possible danger today. Because I believe, I believe that a lot who have claimed access and entrance are lacking either in private before God's eyes or in public before our eyes the true evidence of salvation. Which means that it's likely that your confession or your profession, maybe it's just an emotional moment, maybe it was just a fear of hell that was passing, but it really never settled this one issue that James and Paul come together to settle, and that's the issue of value. The most valuable Object in the universe is God. He should be valued and treasured above all things and all people. And that's what that's what Abraham's offering said. When he offered up Isaac, he said, God, if you are the reward, I value you more than even my son. Here he is. I'll give him to you. And so it may be that your danger today is that the evidence is an issue you need to take up and you really need to seek the counsel of God's Word, the counsel of God's people, and get it settled. Because for you, there could be deception. And James may be calling you out to say, you foolish fellow, what you have is dead, what you have is demonic, what you have is useless and you're getting nowhere with it. And all James was doing was loving the people to say, repent. So would you do that today? Would you repent of your sins and place your faith truly in Jesus and let that grace that you will truly stand in truly change you? Would you do that today? Pray with me. God in heaven, You are truly the most valuable object in the universe. Oh, you're more than an object. But you are the most valuable. And I see that now. And I'm sorry for my sin. I turn, I repent, and I place my faith in Jesus Christ. Would you accept me today? Oh, sinner, wouldn't it be great just to know in your heart by the Holy Spirit that God has truly accepted you?
And that that blood has been applied to your heart. And you have been washed clean. And you have been eternally secured. And out of that true confession, evidence will grow. You won't have to force it. You see, the tree simply bears the fruit of its nature. And when God changes the tree, the fruit follows. Would you come to Christ today? Would you stand? Would you come?